Good morning. I'm going to probably move around like this a bit um, you know, to try and catch some, make some eye contact with some of you and those that are wearing sunglasses, I, I'm watching you. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> we started a series um, this last couple of weeks on encounters with Jesus. And um, George and Mariette were sharing with us, they were at um, one of our churches in Pretoria last week, and the pastor started the sermon by saying that if he had to characterize people at this time with three words, the three words would be busy, tired, and uncertain. And it really struck me because I felt that it's not just their congregation, it's not just Pretoria. And as I look around and as I've been chatting to people, that really is the feeling that I get, is that people are one of those three or all three, okay? There's an uncertainty in people because of COVID. We don't know what's coming next. It's hard to plan, even the little things. My brother-in-law and his family was meant to come and visit from Germany for Christmas, and they were coming and then not coming and then coming and not coming, and eventually they decided you know what, we're just not coming. Because a week before we fly, Germany might be on the, the no-fly zone again. So they had to make that decision that they're just not coming. And I think it leaves a lot of us with uncertainties. And um, the, one of the reasons why we decided to do this series was because the only answer to those three things, busy, tired, and uncertain, is Jesus. He's our only answer. We can't look for answers anywhere else but Jesus. And Mike started off and he looked at Jesus with the religious, and he looked at Nicodemus and how Jesus related to the religious. Last week, Luan did an absolutely incredible sermon on Jesus with the desperate. How did Jesus encounter and behave around those who were desperate? And just that deep call from Jesus Come to me when you are desperate, when you are heavy laden, and I will carry your burden for you. And um, for some other reason, the team decided that I need to preach Jesus with the rebellious. I'm not sure if that's because I'm the least rebellious on the team or the most rebellious on the team, but uh, <clears throat> don't ask Mike. His opinion doesn't count on that one, all right? But this morning, this morning I'm going to share a little bit on... How did Jesus respond to the rebellious that he met? And um, as I was preparing for this, I asked myself a question. And I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question. I hadn't until I started preparing. Sorry. The echo is quite huge. I'm hearing myself in... <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, <clears throat> I asked myself this question. What is the difference between rebellion and disobedience? Many of you ever wondered what the difference is? And I thought, okay, let me go look it up. The Oxford Dictionary says the following. Rebellions is, rebellion is unwilling to obey rules or accept normal standards of behavior. The person is opposed to those in authority. So that's rebellion. What does it say about disobedience? It says... Failure or refusal to obey rules or someone in authority. Can you hear a difference? I couldn't. 
And there are so many times where we, when we hear the word rebellion, we place it over here. Rebellion is extreme, right? Rebellion is like, when you look at the scriptures, I'll read a few scriptures just now about what rebellion means to God. But you place it like way over there. You know, it's the rebellious teenagers. It's the guys that walk around with the weird haircuts and the tattoos and the thousands of piercings. And that, that's the rebellious, right? But what about us every day being disobedient? It's exactly the same thing. And I want to read one of the key scriptures for us on, is Psalm 68 verse 6. God settles the solitary in a home, in family. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious, the disobedient, dwell in a parched, dry land. And there's been so many times where I've read the scripture and the picture that comes to mind immediately of that dry, parched land is a desert. And I can think of no worse place to be than a desert. <clears throat> Sorry. The solitude, the emptiness, the loneliness. Desert isn't just dry and arid without the beauty that surrounds us here. But I always picture, imagine walking. You know you get those movies where some guy gets lost in the desert and then he walks for three days and nearly dies and then someone rescues him and all of that. But they're alone in a desert. And God does that. God takes the solitary and he places them in family. But the rebellious will dwell in a parched, dry land. And Samuel 1 Samuel 15.23 says, For rebellion is like the sin of divination, which is the same as witchcraft. We often read the scripture when we do victory training, and people usually sit there going, No, my rebellion, my disobedience can't be like witchcraft. And God says it is. Our rebellion and our disobedience, he likens to witchcraft. And this is a hard word. And you're looking at me going, you just told us how tired we are and how weary you are. Now you're telling us that we're rebellious and we're disobedient. And <clears throat> but hope is coming in my message. I just had to lay the foundation okay, of what rebellion means. But God doesn't joke around when it comes to rebellion. He speaks harshly about it and he wants us to be obedient. And, you know, rebellion and disobedience isn't just breaking the speed limits or feeding the hyena over the Kruger fence. I won't look at any people in specific. See these two. Feed the hyenas over the Kruger fence. Breaking the rules, right? And sometimes we look at those rules and we go, oh, they're just little rules. Some people live by the motto that rules are made to be broken. But every rule we break has a consequence, whether we like it or not, okay? We can break the speed limit, and chances are we won't get caught, or chances are we, when we caught, we have a pretty smile, and the traffic cop lets you go. But some of us get fines, lots of fines that we then have to pay, okay? So there are consequences to all of our behavior. But we know that the God who loves us, loves 
us even when we rebel. But he doesn't want to leave us in rebellion. Just like Jesus' encounters with the religion, religious, didn't want to leave them in religion, and he doesn't want to leave you in a place of desperation. We don't want to be desperate Christians constantly in that place of desperation. We want to be victorious. And the same way, we don't want to be rebellious, disobedient Christians. We want to be obedient. But we all rebel, okay? We're all disobedient. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to use some examples just now, and I'll bring myself into that, just in case you, want, you thought maybe I'm perfect. I'll, I'll prove you wrong in a minute, okay? I want to look at four examples in the Bible of where Jesus encountered rebellious people. The first one is the rich, young ruler, okay? He comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus looks at him and he says, well, first he says to Jesus, I keep all the law. Now, where's Luzon? How many laws are there, Luzon? Loads and loads of laws. What are the chances that he was actually keeping every single one of those laws? I can't even keep the Ten Commandments all the time. And this guy, this rich young ruler is saying to Jesus, look, I've got the law sorted. I'm doing all of that. What else must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says to him, okay, since you've got them all sorted, let's look at the first one. Love the Lord your God above everything else. So sell all your stuff. And the rich young ruler goes, yeah, to do what? <laughs> like, okay. And he walks away. He's not happy with that answer. But here he pridefully said to Jesus, I've got the law sorted. But he didn't even have the most important thing sorted. Putting Jesus first. Putting God first. His money, his possessions was more important to him than Jesus. Because Jesus said, sell all of that and come and follow me. Imagine having the opportunity in that day to walk with Jesus, to be one of his disciples, to follow him and learn from him. And this guy went, you know what, my stuff's more important. Thanks for the invitation, but my stuff's more important. So he rebelled. He rebelled against the truth that Jesus gave him. Jesus gave him the answer and he went, no thanks, and walked the other way. The second person I want to look at <coughs> sorry, is Peter. Now we all know Peter was a hothead. Peter lived impulsively. Peter said, or shall I say, Peter spoke before he ever thought. Okay, I'm sure many of you can identify with that, where the words come out of your mouth and you go, Wow, where was that God that should have been in front of my mouth at that point? Okay, but that's how Peter lived. But Peter walked with Jesus for three years. He knew him intimately. He was loved by Jesus. And when Jesus said to him, Peter, you are going to deny me three times. Peter said, no, I won't. There's not a chance I'll deny you. Again, similar to the rich young ruler, Pride came in. Peter was prideful. He was saying, Jesus, you, who I know is God, 
Okay, Peter has already declared him as Lord, knowing everything. Jesus, you are wrong. I won't deny you. You are wrong. And so often, folks, if there's a place in your life, if there's an area in your life where you are saying, I will never fall in that sin. I will never do that. Be very careful. Be very careful. Because pride is often the thing that leads us to sin in exactly the thing we said we would never sin in. And that was Peter's problem. All right? So when the time came, and imagine being told you're going to do this, and it happens, and you still don't say, you know what, I was warned. Let me behave differently. You still deny him. He still rebelled in that moment. He knew what the right thing was to do. He was even warned about it. He was given an opportunity to behave differently at that moment. And he still denied Jesus. Okay, my third example is the woman at the well. Now, we all know her story. And the woman at the well, she was just living her life. Okay, you get two types of rebellion. One is blatant rebellion, where you know what the rules are, and you break them anyway. You know what God's standards are, and you decide to live differently. Okay, the woman at the well had no relationship with Jesus. She had no religious background. She was just living her life. We often say that we, we question why sinners sin. They sin because they're sinners, because they don't know Jesus. They don't know how to live differently. Okay, so the woman at the well that Jesus encountered, she was just going about her life. Okay, for her, having had multiple partners, not being married to the man she was currently with, was just part of life. That's just how it is. Society might not have liked it. Okay, she might have been rebelling slightly against society, but she wasn't rebelling against Jesus. And she just carried on. Her life just went on. Yet Jesus encounter, had an encounter with her. Sorry. Oh, that sounds terrible. I'm trying to get them to not blow away. It's okay. Don't worry, I've got this. All right. And my last example, I'm going to bring it all together in a minute, okay? I'm just listing my four examples so that I can set the stage then. My last example is Judas Iscariot. I want to spend a little bit of time on him. Because as I was thinking about him, so many little things came to mind that I'd never thought about before. And, you know, when Jesus called him to be a disciple, when he became one of the disciples, from that moment, well, even before that moment, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew. Now, if you think about yourself, would you knowingly become friends with someone that you know is going to betray you? I wouldn't. Would you knowingly marry someone that you know is going to hurt you, that's going to betray you? You wouldn't. Yet there was something about Jesus that said, okay, Judas, you're one of my 12 disciples. I know you're going to betray me, but come and join me. And there's a few things about Judas that there's... The, with the other disciples, there's a very clear moment where Jesus called them. Judas just seems to become one of the disciples. There isn't a clear moment where Judas is called by Jesus, or it's not, there isn't an account for it. 
Okay. They also believe that Judas was possibly the only disciple from Judea, whereas the others were all from Galilee. And as I read that, I thought to myself, I wonder if from the beginning, Judas felt a little bit like an outsider. Did he feel from the beginning like he didn't quite belong to this group? These 11 guys around him had the same culture, they had the same way of doing things, and he was a little different. So did he feel that he had to prove something? Did he feel a little bit out? And you know what's fascinating is in John 12, 16, John tells us something very interesting and he says, Judas having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas was a thief. He stole from the money bag. Why did Jesus put a thief in charge of the money bag? Have you ever thought of that before? Like why would he, I mean imagine knowing that this guy, it's a little bit like our political system. You know, you've been convicted of fraud and corruption, let's make you Minister of Finance. Okay, that's a little bit of what happened here. But I read an interesting article by a guy called John Bloom. And he says, maybe Jesus was putting his money where his mouth is. How many times did Jesus say, and I want to read this to you, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal, where your treasure is, there your heart is. You cannot serve two masters. Was Jesus maybe in that moment where he put Judas in charge, teaching the disciples a very valuable lesson about money? He knew that Judas was going to steal. So he knew that he couldn't gather up earthly treasures because Ju Judas was just constantly lining his own pockets. And he was teaching his disciples such a valuable lesson. From the beginning, it looked like Judas was doing everything right. He was put in charge of the money. He was a disciple. He was fooling everyone. And the night Judas betrayed Jesus, Jesus said to him, go and do what you must do, but do it quickly. And I wonder if at that moment was the first moment where Judas realized Jesus knew everything. Jesus knew all along what he was going to do, that Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed, and that he knew it was Judas. At that moment, he said to him, go and do what you want to do but do it quickly. So now I've mentioned my four examples, but I want to take a moment and I want to look at the characteristics of Jesus in each one of these encounters. Because it's easy to list the rebellious behavior. It's easy for us to look at one of these four and go, oh, that sounds a bit like me. But do we know the Jesus who they encountered? He never treated the rebellious any differently to anyone else. He loved them as much as he loved the others. With Peter, he even reaffirmed his love for him later. When Jesus was resurrected, he went back to Peter and he said three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And it was actually an affirmation of how much Jesus loved Peter. With the woman at the well, he shouldn't have even spoken to her. And for those of you who were here last week, Luan made such an incredible point where he says, Jesus went out of his way to break 
the rules to meet with the desperate. And here he goes out of his way to meet with the rebellion. He wasn't allowed to speak to her. The religious law said you cannot speak to her. And not only did he speak to her, he told her the truth. He shared the truth with her. He revealed her life and said, I know what your life looks like. And because of her humility at that moment, he gave her living water. Not just water from a well, but living water. And she went off and shared it with the rest of her village. But what a moment to know my life doesn't quite need a standard it should. And here is Jesus. And he says, I know what you've been doing, but come to me. I'll give you living water. I'll restore you. I'll heal you. He always spoke the truth in love. Even with the rich young ruler, he never said to him, if you don't sell all your possessions, you will go to hell. Turn or burn. Okay? Malice is laughing. There are evangelists that do that. Turn or burn. We knew a guy in Joburg who literally had a coffin on the top of his car. And on both sides of the coffin it said, turn or, what? Turn or burn, eh? Repent. Dry of braai. <laughs> the Afrikaans version, dry of braai. At the top of his car. I don't know how effective his evangelism was, but Jesus spoke the truth with love. And um, the rich young ruler still walked away. Even with Peter. Peter knew Jesus. He'd walked with him for three years. He'd heard the truth. And Jesus said to him, you're going to deny me. Spoke the truth to him. Didn't give him consequences to his behavior. Isn't that interesting? Jesus doesn't say to us, don't do this because this and this and this will happen to you. I'm talking about individually now, okay? His word has a lot of that, but like individually. He doesn't come to us and say, if you have sex before marriage, I will make you fall pregnant and you will live in poverty for the rest of your life. He just says, don't do it. I love you, but don't do it. There's a reason why you shouldn't do it. But you know what? The most incredible thing about Jesus is he speaks the truth, and then he said, you choose. You decide. It's totally up to you. He told the rich young ruler, sell your possessions, and the rich young ruler walked away. He didn't run after him. He didn't beg him. He didn't fall down at him and say, oh, rich young ruler, I really want you to worship me. Sell your belongings. It will be in your best interest. He told him what to do and he let him go. He let Peter deny him. He let the woman at the well make the decision. She took the truth and she decided to repent. She decided to go to her village and go and share about this incredible man who had just told her everything that he knew. So Jesus leaves the choice of what we're going to do with the truth in our hands. <clears throat> okay, so Judas was a thief who betrayed Jesus, and Jesus knew it. But Judas was there at the Last Supper. Judas had his feet washed by Jesus. In those three years, there's not one account 
where you hear Jesus treating Judas any differently to the rest of the disciples. And there's something in me that wonders whether Jesus hoped that through being with him, being in relationship with him, that something in Judas would have changed. That he would have gone from that thief, from that betrayer, to becoming a worshipper. You know what's interesting about the account where, where Judas, um, where John mentions that Judas was stealing money, is it comes just after the woman poured perfume on Jesus' feet and worshipped him. And Judas said, what a waste. We could have used that money to feed the poor. Judas had no interest in feeding the poor. He wanted more money in the money coffers so that he had more money to steal. He didn't understand worship at all. He was so focused on money that he couldn't see that act of the woman with the perfume as worship. He just saw it as wasteful. He was so focused on the material. But Jesus still washed his feet. And Jesus still gave him bread and wine. Now we know what happened to Judas. He was filled with remorse. He returned the 30 coins that he had gotten for betraying Jesus. But he could never find peace. And he hanged himself. And I wonder if Judas had truly known Jesus. If he had truly understood Jesus. Would he have gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm sorry, forgive me. And known that he would have received forgiveness. And not just forgiveness, he would have been restored. He would have been made whole again. And that for me is one of the saddest things when we look at Judas's life. Is the, the potential was there for him to have received forgiveness. To have been made whole. But because he didn't understand the man he had walked with for three years, he missed that opportunity and he hanged himself in absolute turmoil. And I want to read something to you from Oswald Chambers. <clears throat> He's just got a way of saying things that is incredible. He says, Jesus often makes his standards very clear. But he prefaces it with an if. If any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself. If. He gives you a choice. But he says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself. But he gives you a choice. The Lord does not give us rules, but he makes his standards very clear. And if my relationship to him is that of love, I will do what he says without any hesitation. If I hesitate... It is because I love someone else who is in competition with him, and that's usually me. Jesus will not help me to obey him. I must obey him, and when I do, I fulfill my spiritual destiny. But if I obey Jesus in the haphazard circumstances, they become pinholes through which I see the face of God. And when I stand face to face with God, I will discover that through my obedience, thousands were blessed. And we can look at the rebellious acts, the disobedient acts, but if you take a piece of paper, imagine a black piece of paper, and every time you obey something that God said to you, and you prick a hole in that black paper, in the end you're going to be able to see through that. And Oswald Chambers is saying that as you see through that, you begin to see the face of God. 
Every act of obedience draws us closer to God. Every time Jesus asks us to do something and we obey, we see him clearer. Those things that hinder us from seeing him, from being with him, are removed. And we all have that. We all have those days where Jesus says, you feel it in your heart. Phone that person and encourage them. And you're like, oh God, I'm too busy. I just, and you forget. Okay, you're running around, you're busy, you forget. You didn't do it when he asked you to do it. When Jesus lays on your heart and says, forgive that person that hurt you. And we just can't. Oswald Chambers very clearly says, yeah, Jesus won't help you to be obedient. You have to be obedient and then he'll help you to walk in that obedience. We so often say, Jesus, help me to forgive. No, no, no. Forgive and then I'll help you walk the journey. And that's the thing with obedience. Be obedient. If Jesus is saying to you, come to church, join a connect group, join a family group, tithe, whatever it might be, get baptized, get baptized in the Holy Spirit, whatever it is that Jesus might be telling you to do, he's not going to give you the ability to obey. He gives you the choice to obey. And once you make that choice, he empowers you to walk in it, to live in it. We know people who have had to make the decision to be water baptized, even though they knew their family was going to have a fit. And they did it anyway. And there are testimonies of restored relationships because of that. And family members that came to Jesus because of their act of obedience. And that's what he's talking about here when he says, I fulfill my spiritual destiny. There are certain acts of obedience that propel us into our destiny, that propel us into a place where we will be a blessing to many. If Jesus tells me, pick up the phone and phone Lazan and bless her, and I'm obedient. I pick up the phone, I share a word of encouragement with Lazan. Lazan has a good day, so Lazan encourages someone else. The person she encouraged feels encouraged and encourages someone else. And it has a ripple effect. And that's the beauty of Jesus. When he asks us to do something, it is not only for me. When I obey Jesus, it's for my children as well. I can remember when we had to decide whether we were going to come to Nelspreet or not. <clears throat> Let's put it this way. Mike had decided already, so when I had to <laughs> decide whether we're coming to Nelspreet or not, I prayed about it a lot, and I really, I, I had peace about it, okay? I don't regret our decision for even a moment. But I can remember one thought that popped into my head was, our children, well Luke especially, did not adjust well to Pretoria after we moved from Somerset West. He used to cry. I want to go home. I want to go home. And it was tough. And it was tough on us. And I just thought, oh, they're so well adjusted in their schools. They've got such good friends. And now we're going to uproot them again. How are we going to do this? And Mike said to me the one night, he says, what do we want to teach our children? To be comfortable or to be obedient? And that really struck me. 
because it wasn't about comfort. And I can remember Josh said, oh, it must be about two years ago or whatever, he said, why did we come to Nelspruit again? And he just answered his own question. He says, oh yes, because Jesus told us to. And off he went. You know, that, that, that was fine. For him, even though he tells me every day he misses Pretoria, what he remembers of Pretoria, no one knows, okay? He's, well, it's way too small. But he tells me he misses Pretoria. But there's something in him when he says, oh yeah, but Jesus told us to come here. That shows me his faith. He's building this church with us. And our faith and our acts of obedience have an impact on our children for eternity. And we must remember that. So this morning, if you're here and, and you know God has, God has spoken to you, maybe a few times, about the same thing, if you haven't been water baptized and God has been telling you, just get baptized. And you're like, oh, but the, the water's cold. It's not cold anymore. Okay? It's hot now. Or, man, my family's not going to like this. Or, I'm just not sure it stands in the Bible. Come and speak to us. We could show you loads of scriptures. Just do it. Whatever it is that God is asking you to do, let's be a people that is obedient, not rebellious. But I want to say that if you're sitting here this morning and you hear yourself in the little acts of disobedience and rebellion that I've been sharing, know that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. But he keeps beckoning you. Come. Come to a higher standard. Come to a place where there's freedom and peace in obedience. I know how I feel if I'm being rebellious or disobedient. I don't have peace. There's this constant something that's niggling. But when I take that step of obedience, there might be other challenges. But there's peace. Because I know Jesus and I are right. So this morning I want to ask you to take a moment and just say, Lord, are there places in my life where I'm being rebellious? Where it's a continual rebellion? Okay? Like that lady, or like the rich young ruler, Jesus told you very clearly and you've walked away. You need to turn around. You need to go back to Jesus and say, okay, Lord, I'll do this. Or are you like the woman at the well where you've just been living your life and Jesus is saying, come to me. It's time to have a relationship with me. Or are you a follower of Christ and there's places where you have denied him, where you have been disobedient, where you've been rebellious, and he's saying, repent. He's quick to forgive. Very quick to forgive. Let's not miss our opportunity to meet that Jesus this morning the one who is ready to forgive us and restore us. So let's just take a moment and pray. And if you, if you have any prayer needs at all, if you want us to pray for you, anything at all, okay? If you need healing, if you need restoration, if you need to make a first-time commitment to Jesus, just come forward. There'll be people here to pray for you. I'm just going to close off and pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we know that in our relationship with you, there is fullness of joy. Father, we know that we can receive peace 
So Father, this morning I pray for those of us who are possibly struggling in certain areas of disobedience, of rebellion, where we've lost our peace, Jesus. I pray that we would boldly turn back to you, that we would repent and we would take that step of obedience. And as we take that step of obedience, we would feel you flood us. Will you empower us? Will you enable us to do what you have called us to do? That we might fulfill that spiritual destiny that you have for each one of us. Where we can be a blessing to many. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.